before I uh, ask uh, Sarah to come forward and read our text uh, for this morning, which is Mark uh, chapter 12, verses 12 uh, to 17, I do just want to uh, introduce the text that we're going to be looking at this morning, and I want to introduce it uh, with a line from an old book. Uh, Here's the line. I'm quoting now. When a man is courting, he always has to agree with the girl's mother in religion and her father in politics. Now, if you're well read, um, you might recognize that line as being a line from Anne of Green Gables. When a man is courting, he always has to agree with the girl's mother in religion and her father in politics. Now, I read that line because it shows that things really haven't changed much in a hundred or so years. Um, religion and politics were hot-button issues at the turn of the 20th century, and um, not only have things not really changed much in a hundred years, but things really haven't changed much in 2,000 years, have they? Because in the same way that religion and politics were hot-button issues in the late 1800s, Religion and politics were hot-button issues in the first century as well. Um, Especially, I think it's fair to say, when the two intersected, as they so often did in the first century. Religion and politics, hot-button issues today, hot-button issues 100 years ago, hot-button issues 2,000 years ago. And, of course, that brings us to our text for this morning. Remember the context. Jesus has really gotten offside with the religious leaders. He's cleansed the temple. When they tried to trap him with this question about authority, it totally backfired and Jesus ended up publicly shaming them. And then he went on to tell the parable of the tenants, which he called them out through as wicked men. And so verse 12, they want to arrest him. The problem is they can't because they fear the people and so they seek to trap him and the way they seek to trap him is by presenting him with this question in which you have these hot button topics. And so maybe we can picture it this way. The religious leaders want to arrest Jesus. They're fuming at him, angry, and they get together. And they say to each other, we have to get this guy, but how do we do it? Last time we tried to trap him, it totally backfired. And then someone from among the religious leaders pipes up and says, why don't we ask him about tax? Religion and politics, why don't we ask him about tax? In fact, the person says, why don't we send... Two groups. We'll send a loyal to Caesar group, the Herodians, and we'll send a loyal to God group, the Pharisees, and we'll have them ask him this hot button issue. Ask him about this hot button issue. Ask him about these hot button to- topics, religion and politics, through this question about tax. That's bound to trap him. That's their plan. But as we're going to see, not only does it not trap Jesus in this moment, He gives the most profound answer to what was then and what remains a hot-button 
topic and a contentious subject, namely religion, politics, and the intersection of the two. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning, this trap question, and then this profound answer. So if I could ask Sarah to come forward and read Mark chapter 12, verses 12 to 17. Thank you, Sarah. Mark 12, verses 12 to 17. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Wonderful. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we thank you that your word is so wonderfully helpful. Indeed, it's the greatest help in all the world. We thank you that you have not left us without answers to difficult questions and to hot-button issues. We thank you that instead you have addressed them so clearly, so beautifully, so profoundly, so wisely. And we pray that we would reflect your word on these matters, that we would reflect on your word on these matters, that we wouldn't assume that we know what's right, but that we would instead humble ourselves before your word and recognize that not only do you know what's right, you tell us what's right, but there is the greatest joy in lining ourselves up with what your word says about these matters. So may you, by your spirit, line us up with your word and teach us and transform us and rebuke us where we need rebuking and Convict us where we need convicting and ultimately grow us in our love for you, our love for each other, our love for your word, our likeness to Christ, who is love, perfect love. So be with us now. May we do everything to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I said a moment ago, we're looking at this this trap question and then this profound answer. Firstly, this trap question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, why is that a trap question? It's a key question, isn't it? Why is this a trap question? I think for most people... The question is pretty straightforward. Just think if someone asks you this question, should you pay tax? 
Yes. It's straightforward. It's simple. Um, but for some people, it isn't that simple. Most people in this room, perhaps, it's pretty simple. But for some people, it isn't that simple. Outside the church, you ask some people this question, should you pay tax? And they'll say, no. Um, you have, you might have heard of the, the sovereign citizen movement. I don't recommend looking it up because you will get infuriated if you watch the videos of these people um, dealing with police officers and saying that, you know, they have no rights and so forth. And But anyway, outside the church, you have people who say, no, you, you shouldn't pay tax. Not only that, though, even more sadly, you have people inside the church who, if they're asked the question, should you pay tax, their answer is no. One famous example, I won't name the gentleman, but there was one famous example relatively recently, the last 30 years, of a, a apologist who went to jail for a number of years for refusing to pay tax. And, and this is one of the questions that he asked. He says this, why should my tax dollars go to supporting, this is one of his objections, go to supporting the, the teaching of evolution in public schools? That was one of his objections. You have public schools supported by tax money. Why should I pay tax if it's going to support the teaching of evolution in public schools? So even inside the church, you have some pushback against paying tax, taxes being paid to Caesar. And in the first century, things were similar. There was pushback against taxes being paid to Caesar. So you had some who were fine with it. So the Herodians here were fine with it, for example. But then there were others who said, absolutely not, shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. There was one man, Judas of Galilee, who said thus, taxation is no better than downright slavery. He actually called taxation treason against God. Now, you might look at that from your vantage point, people in the first century calling taxation treason against God and kind of balk at it, think, oh my goodness, how could you be so ridiculous? Um, but just put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jew for a moment. Maybe I can illustrate this. Right now, you might have money in your pocket. Cash, coins, we probably all just have an Ethos card in our pocket. But just imagine, think back to the olden days when we used to have cash. And you have cash in your pocket. So say you have a $2 coin in your pocket. And if you pull out that $2 coin, what are you going to see? Now, 21st century New Zealand. What will you see on that $2 coin? Well, you'll see a bird on the front, an egret, I believe, and then there's going to be the queen on the back, and you're going to read the words around the queen, New Zealand, Elizabeth II, and then you'll have the year that it was minted, so 2003. Now, if you were a first century Jew and you reached into your pocket, you definitely wouldn't feel an FPOS card in there, but if you pulled out a coin, say you pulled out a, a, a denarius, what would you see? What would you see? You wouldn't see a picture of the queen. You would see a picture of the emperor. And on one side, there would be the words, phrase, highest 
priest. And then on the other side, with the picture of the emperor, would be these words. Tiberius, Caesar, Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. That's what you'd read on that coin. Son of the divine Augustus. Now just think about that phrase that the emperor, the title that the emperor is claiming for himself. Son of the divine Augustus. What is that a claim to? Divinity. It's a claim to divinity. We might say he's claiming to be, in a sense, a son of God, the son of God. And it's a claim to divinity being made by the man who is in charge of an empire that have invaded your home country and are now in charge. And so when it comes to this question, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not, it's not should we pay taxes to the government who is funding the teaching of evolution in public schools? That's not the question. The question is, should we pay taxes to the guy that's at the head of the empire that have invaded us and they're now in charge and he claims to be divine? That's the question. Should we pay taxes to that guy? To put it simply, should we pay taxes to a wicked blasphemer? That is the question. And you can imagine the going back and forth on this issue, can't you? When you realize what the question actually involves, you can imagine the going back and forth. You can imagine some people saying, well, well, by paying tax to that guy, are we saying his claim to divinity is legitimate? By giving the money with that title on it to him, are we saying his claim to divinity is legitimate? Are we saying his invasion of our country is legitimate? What do we do? Perhaps complicating things further. If you were in tune theologically, you can imagine them saying, if we pay tax to him, are we acknowledging ourselves to be under God's judgment? Are we saying that in our own land, we're in the same position that Israel were when they were in exile? Under a foreign overlord. Is that what we're saying? So it's a very hard question if you put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jew. But then back to the text. Why is this a trap question? It's a trap question very simply because if Jesus says, no, it's not legitimate, then perhaps cite some of the reasons that we've looked at, he can just be arrested as a rebel. He's forbidding us to pay taxes to Caesar, arrest him, then the religious leaders have him, don't they? But if he says, yes, you should pay tax, then some of the people who object to paying tax on the grounds that we've just discussed can turn against him and say, you're a sellout. You don't take God seriously. So what's happened here? The religious leaders have put Jesus, in their minds, in between a rock and a hard place, which is exactly where they want him. But then what happens? Well, it's like last time. He completely flips the situation and gives what is not only a profound answer at the moment, but an answer that has resonated 
throughout time. So reading verses 15 to 17. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, then let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Um, so as he often does, what does Jesus do? Well, as he often does, he answers a question with a question. And he answers a question, not only with a question, but with a very simple question. They bring him a denarius. Maybe they had one in their pocket. And he, Jesus looks at the coin. And he sees what as he looks at the coin. Because he says here, he wants to look at it. What does he see as he look at the, looks at the coin? He sees what I described earlier, doesn't he? He sees exactly what I described earlier. Looking at that little coin, he sees what I described earlier. On one side, he sees the title, highest priest. And then if he turned the coin over, he'd see a picture of the emperor with the words, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Now just think about what's happening there. Here's the actual son of God. Here's the one who, the only one, who can legitimately claim that title. I am divine. I am the divine son of God. I am the son of the divine. And he's reading the blasphemous claim of this wicked pretender, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. That's what he sees. And then seeing that, he asks this simple question. Whose likeness and inscription is this? And you know the thing with simple questions? Simple questions often feel like trick questions, don't they? Right? And, and you can imagine the religious leaders hearing that simple question, whose picture is this? And perhaps feeling within themselves, oh no. This sounds like a trick question. And perhaps now themselves feeling trapped. But even if they don't feel trapped, they walk right into the trap anyway, don't they? And they say, Caesar. And then come these remarkable words. Jesus doesn't say, this man is a wicked, blaspheming, pretender, and I'm the only one who can claim to be the son of the divine. I'm the only one who can claim to be God. Instead, he says this, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Which means Jesus is saying what? It's really simple. He's saying, he's a wicked, blaspheming pretender, but you owe him something. You owe him something. But Jesus, you might respond if you were standing there. He's a wicked man. He's a blasphemer. He claims to be the son of the divine. Jesus can say, 
I know that. I can see that written right here. Jesus isn't ignorant of that, but he still says, you owe him. And you need to render to him the things that are his. Now notice Jesus doesn't specify what things are specifically Caesar's. Of course, it's connected to Caesar's image, and I want to return to that later. But notice for now, Jesus doesn't specify the things that are Caesar's. He just says, things. And as much as Caesar was a wicked, blaspheming pretender, there's lots of things they owed Caesar. There's lots of privileges that they owed that they enjoyed at his hand. An orderly society, police protection, good roads. And not only is it right for them to pay for those privileges, they also owe Caesar gratitude for those privileges. And the same is still true today. When Paul talks about rulers in 1 Timothy 2, one of the things he says to do is give thanks. He talks about gratitude in the context of praying for rulers. And so the question for us this morning is very simple. Do you give thanks for your rulers? Do you render to them what is owed to them? Do you realize you do owe them things? That's what Jesus says here. And this is still true today. Do you give thanks that you live in a peaceful country with good roads? And I guarantee you, you're all thinking of the country road that's full of potholes, but our roads are better than their roads. Do you give thanks that you live in a country with good roads and police protection? Someone's got to pay TK salary. Someone in our church is becoming a police officer this week, but... Do you give thanks for those privileges, the wonderful privileges that we enjoy in New Zealand, this wonderful country? And those privileges have to not only be paid for, they haven't been experienced by most people throughout human history and most people alive in the world today. And if you sit there and you say, no, New Zealand is just a terrible country, just recognize that your ability to sit there and say openly, New Zealand is a terrible country, is of itself proof that New Zealand is not a completely terrible country. Because in truly terrible countries, you can't do that. You can't. Back to the text. Jesus firstly acknowledges that Caesar, though a wicked man, is a legitimate authority to whom things are owed, and most things should be rendered to him. But then he adds this. He tells them to render to God the things that are God's. But again, he does the same thing with Caesar, doesn't he? He doesn't specify the things specifically that are owed to God. He just says things. But there is a clue as to what Jesus means. And here we return to Caesar's image. Caesar's image was the link to what was owed to Caesar. The coin carried Caesar's image, and that meant that coin was owed to Caesar, which means the question here, in terms of what things are owed to God, is, of course, what carries God's image? And the answer is what? It's us, ourselves. And it's possible, I think likely, that that's the point that Jesus is 
very subtly but wonderfully making here. Give Caesar tax and the other things that are owed to him. Gratitude, for example. But give God yourselves. Your whole self. Mind, body, soul, strength. Because you owe to Caesar some things, not everything. You don't owe it to him to recognize the blasphemous title that he claims for himself. You don't owe that to him. You owe him some things. But you owe God everything, including gratitude, not just for some good things, but for all good things, including the good things that come to you via the hand of Caesar. But most especially, obviously, and wonderfully, what else do we owe God? What else has he given us? It's the other good thing that he's given us, the main good thing. Well, it's the son who's speaking. And this is the highest call, isn't it? It's one thing to give Caesar a coin. It's another thing to give God yourself. To say to God, all of me is yours. Do with me what you will. Have you done that? Have you given God yourself? Do you do that every day? All of me is yours. Do with me what you will. If you don't do that, you're not doing what the Bible tells you to do, which is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. You're not giving to him everything. But the wonderful thing about this text is, where does it point us? It points us to Jesus who did do that, who did give God everything. He gave himself for you. He gave himself completely to his father to do his father's will because in only four or so days time Jesus' life will be taken and it will be taken at whose hand it will be taken under whose watch at the hand and under the watch of a man put there ultimately by Caesar Pontius Pilate in other words at the hands ultimately of the man whose face is on this coin that he is holding right now so the call of this text is what it's one of grateful rendering rendering to caesar what is caesar's and to god what is god's seeing that jesus has already given himself up for us you pray with me as we close now gracious father we pray that we would gratefully render to caesar what is caesar's and to you what is yours and we pray that we would do so recognizing that jesus has given himself completely for us he did not hold back even his own life instead he died that we might live may we look to him crucified for us and and may we live lives of humble gratitude before you before caesar um, so that we might glorify you and serve our neighbors in jesus name we pray amen <laughs>